0: Years ago, we went through a life situation where the choices that some people we trusted made completely turned a lot of things in our world upside down, that the decisions by people that we had trusted and thought were our friends affected our finances, our jobs, and our dreams for the future in a really big way. And this situation, these choices that these people made that affected us, I felt were really a betrayal of the trust and the relationship that we had with them. And as life went on, God was still faithful and God actually used that situation to open new doors and, and let us experience new and even better life situations than we had formerly had. But the choice to forgive those people was really hard. It was one of those things that was not a light switch I could just flip. And I really thought I had gotten past it until one Sunday one of those people and their family showed up to the church community that my family is connected to. And I felt all that anger and pain just well up inside of me again. That something I thought I was past, I really wasn't. And it became pretty obvious that this was something that still really hurt and still bothered me. When we experience these kinds of situations where people hurt us, especially when they're fellow believers, when they're followers of Jesus as well, And they do things that hurt us, that they betray us, that cause us to hold grudges and to have anger and resentment against them. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? Well, the good news is this is not a new situation. And Jesus has a lot to say about these kinds of life situations. And as we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount in this series, this is Really important because Jesus is speaking to people that are disconnected from God and if you've been following our series this is what we've covered but if you haven't then I encourage you to go back and follow uh, the first f- couple of uh, sessions that we did to look at this and we discussed how Jesus was yes he's God and yes he was coming as the Messiah the Christ to to bring God's kingdom and restore it here on earth but Jesus was also a Jewish rabbi. And rabbis had a teaching that they had, they called their yoke. And this is what Jesus was bringing here in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, or I like to call it the Manifesto of the Kingdom. And as we've been going through so far, we've covered the Beatitudes, and we talked about how Jesus uh, came to bring a system uh, that, that was going to replace the old. He was bringing a kingdom that would overturn the system. And then uh, we spoke about the, the situation where the new covenant was replacing the old covenant. And we saw how Jesus was bringing something better than the old because the old covenant, the law of Moses, the Mosaic covenant could not truly bring forgiveness and restoration that lasted, it was a continual process. But Jesus came to settle the score and Jesus died once for all, for the forgiveness of sins for now and for eternity. And as we pick up where we left off, if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. As we look at this passage, this next section, starting in verse 21, and and I encourage you, man, as we go through all of this, remember uh, that we always want to read the Bible in context. That's why I took time to give a a, a summary of everything we've taught about so far, because each of these sections, if we're not careful, can be twisted. They can be, you know, taken, and, and I can, if I'm not careful, I can twist the Bible to fit my beliefs, rather than twisting my beliefs to fit the Bible. So as we look at this passage, Jesus is providing not only uh, uh, teachings to the people about how to to get reconnected with God, he also is helping them learn how to live amongst people. Because the Jewish people at this time were were held captive by the Romans, the Romans had conquered them, and and ever since uh, the uh, time of the captivity by the Assyrians and then Babylon, the scriptures have showed us how the people of israel never experienced a restoration of the kingdom in the way they understood it they never received back what they knew as the promised land that was given to them under the mosaic covenant that the assyrians and the babylonians took part of the land or all of the land in certain times and then the babylonians were conquered by the medo-persians the medo-persians were conquered by the greeks and eventually the romans would come to claim it. So, so this is a, a group of people that are dealing with a, a situation with conflicting cultures. And so they're not only trying to reconnect with God, they also have to learn how to reconnect with people. And this is where we pick up in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus teaches the people saying, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Now, in this section where Jesus teaches about anger, there's a lot to unpack. The first comes in the, the first two sections, first two verses, 21 and 22, and Jesus says in this section, something we'll see him repeat as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He, in verse 21, he says, you have heard that. And Jesus is referring to the law of Moses in the Mosaic Covenant, specifically Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter five, where we're told the commandment not to murder, right? That's part of what we you know, lump together in the 10 commandments that thou shalt not murder, right? And he says, if you murder, you are subject to judgment. But look at what Jesus does in verse 22. He says, but I say. Now this, if you're not familiar with rabbinical teachings and how the rabbis would teach, may not come across as as a big deal. But you see, the rabbis would only teach from what the, the prophets and Moses taught. That if it wasn't in something that was already in the scriptures, then it was something that they would not mess with because they didn't go on their own authority. They were hanging on the authority of the law and the prophets. But Jesus taught as one with authority. And it says that numerous times in the scriptures that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught as a person with authority. You see, Jesus is not just saying, hey, you heard this in the prophets. You heard this in the law of Moses. And so I'm reminding you of that. No, he's actually giving his own commandment. He says, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. You see, Jesus is putting himself in the place of God because only God can give commandments. And if you grew up being a church person like me, this this probably didn't strike you as significant. But this is huge. This would have been shocking. This would have been revolutionary because Jesus was a radical rabbi. He was turning everything upside down in their world and reconnecting the broken pieces so that people could experience restoration with God and restoration with people. And so what we recognize here in this passage is our big truth for this section is that that reconciliation with God means reconciliation with people as well. That reconciliation with God means reconciliation with people And this is something in our modern day that we wrestle with a lot. In recent times, I believe this is the most the church has been divided in a long time, if not in all of church history. We are divided by denomination. We're divided by preference. We're divided even within how we interpret the scriptures and how we apply them to our lives. Why? Because our culture is also divided. We're divided by political parties, we're divided by our race, by our genders, by our financial situation. Right? All of these things, what class we're in, our jobs, our economic standing, all of these things divide us and we are very seemingly at war with culture and the cultures between all of the different groups of people. And the good news is this was very you know similar to what the Jewish people were dealing with at the time of Jesus's earthly ministry then Jesus is helping them recognize that if we want to get reconciled to God and have that restoration, we also have to be reconciled with people, not just people in the church, but the rest of the world as well. And so when we look at all of this, we have to figure out how how do we dig deep into what Jesus is saying so we can apply this to our lives. And that's what I love about what Jesus does. Jesus makes the teaching simple. But we need to be careful not to confuse simple with easy, right? In another portion of Jesus's ministry we have the famous time where Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was because there were 613 laws in the law of Moses and of those 613 laws or commands Jesus was asked trying to trick him what the most important one was and Jesus said that the most important commandment was to love God with all we have and he said, and there's a second one, right? We love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we also love our neighbor like we love ourselves." And, and, and you know that passage of the parable of the Good Samaritan where Jesus makes the, the most reviled person in the Jewish culture, the hero, right? A Samaritan was the scum of the earth to the Jews. They hated the Samaritans, but Jesus wants them to see that your neighbor is anybody, whether they're part of your group and your community and even part of the church or not. And so Jesus takes this a step further by saying, I say, right, standing in the place of God because Jesus is God, right? But Jesus is stepping up and saying, But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Jesus is putting anger against somebody on par with murder. He's saying the same level of judgment comes for the person who commits murder as the person that has that in his heart. And this is one of the principles we find throughout all of scripture is that God doesn't just look at what we do, even though our actions definitely matter. God looks at our heart because like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. We can be pious and we can go to worship and teach the best messages. We can, you know, do miracles. And have no relationship with God. Jesus, in another passage, said that, you know, on Judgment Day, there will be people who stand before God and say, Lord, look at all the things we did, right? We, we preached, we did miracles. And Jesus is going to say, I didn't, I didn't know you. They had no relationship. You see, you can do the right things for the wrong reason. And Jesus is not just getting at the action. He's getting at the heart. He says, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Then he says, if you call someone an idiot, now this also needs some unpacking. The word there for idiot, especially if you've got an older translation or maybe you have a footnote, lets you know that the word there is raka. And the word raka is an Aramaic word, which means idiot, stupid, empty headed. You're devaluing that person. And the heart of what Jesus is getting at is if you are angry with someone and you tell them that they are less valuable because of what they've done, or who they are, then we are in danger of being brought before the court, <laughs> you know? And this is this is a you know cultural thing, sure, to be brought in front of the, a, a judge, but we also recognize that this has eternal consequences where God is going to look at, at, at the things we've done and value them and weigh them. In another passage, right after this he says, and if you curse someone, right? The Greek there is to say, you fool. Once again, we're devaluing someone because of their actions or their abilities. Jesus says, you're in dangers of the fires of hell. You see, the root of this is how we value someone. You see, when my children mess up, they, they, and they do, they, they may make me frustrated with them, they may you know, get hurt my heart, but I recognize their value, why? Because they're our children. When my wife and I have conflict, we work to overcome that, why? Because she, she's my precious bride and we want to stay in an in intimacy in our relationship together. But you see, when other people wound us and hurt us, it's much easier to throw it away and just get another friend, just get another can you, companion. But you see, we have become accustomed in our culture to a throwaway culture. When my TV breaks, it's cheaper to throw the TV away and buy a new one than it is to fix it. When my car starts having issues, it's often cheaper to trade the car in and get a different one, a newer one, than to pay the bills to have the mechanic fix what's wrong with it. And so we have just become a, a nation of consumers, and we use something, and when it's broken, we throw it away, or we upgrade. But in people, when it comes to people and relationships, Jesus doesn't want us to throw away an upgrade. He wants us to restore because that's God's heart for us. You see, if we want to be reconciled with God, we have to reconcile with people. How do we do that? Jesus gives us a very practical process here in the next couple of verses. In verse 23, Jesus says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, now let's be real. The temple doesn't exist anymore. A.D. 70, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and it has not been built since, and whether you believe it's going to be rebuilt or not isn't the point. The point is, Jesus is is talking about the act of worship. Jesus is saying, when you go to get right with God, this is offering a sacrifice. People would offer an animal sacrifice to be forgiven of their sins under the Mosaic Covenant. Now, we're not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore, but this principle still applies. That when we come to God seeking forgiveness, saying, God, you know, forgive me, maybe for the, for the first time or for the thousandth time in your walk with him. We say, God, you know, forgive me. I want to repent, turn around, to get away from that way of living, and I want to come back to you. If we want to be reconciled with God, look at what Jesus says. He says, suddenly you remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You see, Jesus' principle here is that before we should come to God even for reconciliation, we have to make sure that we are also reconciled and in right standing with people. And I get it. We can't possibly know the hearts of every person we're connected to. I get that people may be upset at me that I have no clue. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with someone to get right with them and say, hey, when you said this, it hurt me. You know, when when you, you, you made this decision, it really upset me. I can't tell you how many times I had that conversation and the person said, I'm so sorry, I did not even know that hurt you. I'm sorry, I didn't recognize that upset you, that that bothered you so much. So many times, well, there's just no way we can know that. This is why this is so important. You know, Corey Ten Boom famously said that forgiveness sets the prisoner free, and then recognizes that the prisoner was me. This is what happens so many times when we go to get right with people that most of the time they didn't even know it. See, we're not setting that person free most of the time. Most of the time, we're setting ourselves free. So when we have this situation, Jesus is setting a, a standard, a, a practice for us that before we reconcile with God, we need to make sure we're reconciled with people. This is why Jesus taught us to pray in what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, right? Hallowed or holy is your name. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and then forgive us of our trespasses, forgive us of our sin, right? As we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. And maybe like me, you've said that prayer, either in church or in your own you know, personal time with God, and you just could be kind of out of habit of rhythm of saying that prayer so many times, you skipped over that. You know, the same way that I have a bad habit of taking my daily bread for granted, because we're blessed to live in a culture and society where eating every day for the vast majority of people is not a struggle. This is the same thing too, that I've gotten in the habit of saying, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. It becomes something, a rhythm, like, like a song lyric that I just sing without thinking about. Jesus wants us to recognize that if we want to be reconciled to God, we first have to be reconciled with people. Now here's something I want to add to this, because a lot of times, We think about this in terms of of other fellow believers, and there's a lot to say about that, that we should live in harmony with other followers of Jesus, but that's not specifically mentioned in this passage. He says that if someone has something against you, that could be anybody, whether they're a believer or not, but especially if they are believers, right? We need to live in harmony with all people throughout the scriptures. We see this over and over again, right? And so what we recognize is that, you know, we have to love each other. In a different passage, you know, in first John, you know, one of the eyewitnesses, one of Jesus' best friends, we see this in you know his teaching and, and, and one of the letters that, that John writes in first John chapter four, you know, starting in um, you know verse sixteen. He writes this, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face Him, face God, with confidence, because we live like Jesus here in this world. Because God is love, we have to live in love because God lives in us. And I love that sentence. You've probably heard that numerous times. God is love. God is love. But the reality of that sentence is pretty heavy. Because it's not saying that God is loving, right? It's not that he has that that, that action, right? Love is actually who God is. If we want to know what love is, we have to know God. And so when we live in God, then we can love as God loves. And we can forgive other people whether they're believers or not and of course you know later in this in this passage john says this you know if someone says i love god but hates a fellow believer that person is a liar for if we don't love people we can uh, if we don't love people we can see how can we love god whom we cannot see and he has given us this command those who love god must also love their fellow believers but jesus and john if we read this these passages in context shows us that was not just fellow believers it's others as well, everyone. Paul writes many times, the, the, the apostles write all throughout the New Testament, we see numerous times the command to live in harmony with other people, to live at peace with others, to make every effort to live at peace with others. Jesus in this passage goes on to give us some other practical things, not just when we're worshiping, but also in our daily lives. He says when you're on your way to court with your adversary, I love that word, adversary, your enemy, right? the bad guy the person that's coming to bring you know problems into your life jesus says settle your differences quickly you know get this matter settled. don't let it drag out not just for for practical purposes but for real life stuff not just for spiritual stuff but for earthly stuff he says otherwise your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison this was a real life struggle in the in the life of people at this time and we we don't have this in our lives today but at the time, if you owed a debt and the person called for you to pay for it and you couldn't pay for it, then you had to work to have that, that debt paid off. And if you couldn't do that, then you would go to prison until you worked in a prison camp to pay off your debt. And that was a much slower process than normal everyday living. And so you would be stuck in jail, for, you know, in prison doing hard labor for a very long period of time until you paid your debt off and that's why Jesus says if that happens you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny so what's the, what's the, the principle that Jesus is saying the same thing we've been saying that to be reconciled with God means we need to be reconciled with people now, how do we do that? That's why I mentioned that First John passage, because the only way we can do this is if God gives a new heart and a new mind, and He lives inside of us through the power of His Holy Spirit. That person who had wronged my family and, and I so, so much that I felt so much hurt and betrayal over, when they started attending our church community, they actually came to me and took me to the side and apologized and said so they were so sorry how all of that worked out and that he regretted it and it wasn't easy but through God's Holy Spirit and the power that he gave me I was able to forgive him I was able to get a right standing with them again and that before when I saw their family coming I'd get angry and I'd want to walk out of the room to try to, 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 to recompose myself now when I see them coming because God has given me a new heart and a new mind and has allowed me to to, to experience that that forgiveness, to allow me to forgive them the way God has forgiven me, that doesn't even come up anymore. We high-five, we shake hands, we 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 give you know, the bro hug, right? You know, we 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 celebrate and, and, and hang out again like we used to. Why? Because God allows us to do that because he lives in us. That's the missing key. You see, forgiveness on our own is almost always impossible. That we still even if we forgive we still harbor some resentment we still have that seed of anger in the back of our mind and our heart that brings those memories and those pains again and again and again to our mind but you see when jesus enters into the situation we can truly love others the way he loves us just as jesus said love your neighbor as you love yourself the only way to do that is with god so how do we do this man we've got to reconcile People, if we want to be reconciled with God, to be reconciled with God means we have to reconcile with people. I don't know where you are today. Maybe, like me, you've had people that have hurt you and betrayed you, and you need to be reconciled to them. Maybe you have an adversary in your life that's an enemy to you, and you need to pray that God gives you a heart of reconciliation and and forgiveness for them. Now, that doesn't Reconciliation doesn't mean, even though in my situation we were able to rekindle that friendship. If somebody has abused you, has traumatized you, has done incredibly evil things to you, you do not have to forgive and forget, as our culture says, right? Forgiveness and reconciliation does not mean things always go back to the way they were. They just don't. And so, don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus is not saying that if we have an adversary that we have to forgive them and bring them back into a position of trust and and, and back into that inner circle of our heart again. That's not what Jesus is saying, but he is saying that forgiveness and reconciliation are the standard for kingdom life. I mentioned before, and I'll close with, with this as we wrap this time up together. What Corey Ten Boom said that forgiveness sets the prisoner free and recognizes that the prisoner was me. I've talked about this before but if you don't remember this quote came from when she explained her family history. You see her family was taken captive by the Nazis during World War II and every member of her family except her was killed in a concentration camp and she survived and God gave her an amazing platform to share the gospel and bring the kingdom. And because of, of, of what happened in her notoriety, the SS officer who ran that camp was able to find her. And he came to her and asked her to forgive him, because since that time of all the evil things he did, he had come to know Jesus and had been forgiven. And now he was trying to do what Jesus taught, to be reconciled with people. And that's the situation where the power of the Holy Spirit was able to strengthen her and give her a new heart and new mind to forgive this person who had wronged her in such an evil and a powerful way. That She said she was able to shake his hand and in the love of Christ to say, I forgive you. That's where that quote where she said, forgiveness sets the prisoner free and recognizes the prisoner was me. That's the context. Isn't that powerful? So i don't know where you are in your life today but i want to encourage you in this session and section of looking at the sermon on the mount the manifesto of the kingdom that we would recognize that to reconcile with god means reconciling with people and if you or i have somebody in our life that we need to do that with don't wait just as jesus said leave your sacrifice don't Go back to worshiping God before you've gotten right with people. Get it done today as much as is in your power. And if that person is unable to be reached, maybe you have no way to find them. Maybe they've passed away. You can still, in your spirit, go to God and find that reconciliation and find that change in your heart. Because to be reconciled with God means we also have to be reconciled with people. Be blessed.